Good evening, and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast show of the Flex Fox Fantasy Federation uh, Baseball Pool. It's been a while since I've done this intro, but I am your host, Garth Newton. I am coming to you live from beautiful downtown New Hamburg in my illustrious attic office. And with me, as always, is my co-host and great friend, Jeremiah Matacristake Johnson. How's it going, Jeremiah? Well, um, you know, besides the Christmas mistake, I'm having a good time. I mean, it's that annual time of year where we let sewage fly, the environment mm. be damned mm. here at Flexbox Fantasy, and we allow anyone and their uncle to write a news article. So congratulations to uh, the league for that. I, I mean, uh, content is content. Uh, but uh, given that you and I control at the very least this version of the content we we don't we don't have to review that article more than uh more than than you know a couple minutes at least yeah i mean it exists um i don't know how much uh value it has but uh hey you know what you know what that's okay it's all right yeah, uh, on the beggars can't be choosers on meter, we we have been pushing for people to write something. And uh, in Chris's defense, uh, he uh, he he wrote a lot. Uh, there were many words, uh, and many of them in a row. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. You know, Chow pointed this out on Slack, but I'm gonna take uh, take a lap here. But you know, I'm at the top of that article, so clearly mm. I'm the best team. I, I it's it's really kind of hard to argue, I suppose, uh, given given the everything. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to label a, an article power rankings and then put me, you know, talk about me first, that's fine. I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah there you go. You are the mover and shaker in Chris's world. That is the only takeaway. Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the stuff he wants to do is a bit uncomfortable, but <laughs> th- that's okay. Yeah, I'll let him express himself. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough then. Uh, typically at around this point, I would suggest that we uh, dive into the uh, the previous week's uh, review, but uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a previous week. Uh, week 14 was just a wasteland, a, a dead spot in the schedule. Two long and lonely weeks where... Even going to the matchup page would just leave you wanting and unfulfilled. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if we're going to talk about this, right? Like, what what is this? Like, I know hmm. everyone volunteers their time, and I and I accept all of that. Um, but league management is vehemently opposed to adding someone to their ranks, and so the manpower is capped. The, the amount of time these people can put in is capped. And if this is going to be the result, I mean, shouldn't, don't we deserve more? Some of us definitely deserve more. Um, now, I'm not pro Nick, but Nick deserved a matchup. Mm. Now, I'm not, part of me, the skeptic in me thinks league management didn't want to have this matchup because Nick is not really active. He's not always setting his lineup, and it's a bad look for the league to hold a matchup such as the community shield with somebody's not paying attention. I mean, it's hard to argue um, in 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 that respect. I I I would have preferred something over nothing. Um, and 
and I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, the way that I typically end up using uh, the Community Shield week, even though I'm only ever in the Garth Bowl, and I understand that, um, is oftentimes I've just made trades, as I did this go-round, and I just want to sort of tool and tweak the lineup, see how it's working in a matchup that doesn't really matter, but still one that I can sort of see how it's playing and using my opponent lackluster though they may be in some some of those matchups still seeing how that how that shakes out right like it's it was definitely it was almost like they they killed my my otas right like i needed my offseason practice to to get a couple of hits in and there there was nothing there they canceled it well i want to like i want to hop on an idea Neeson put out there and kind of add my own twist to it. So mm. I actually think a great way to do the community shield would be like all-star teams in the NBA. You, your champions of mm. the league and Europa captain two all-star teams, two, two teams, and they pick through the rosters. Now that was Neeson's idea. My twist on it is the winning team. Like we've been kind of like kicking around some ideas, Well, what if the winning team receives some sort of supplemental draft pick? And okay. That could be, it's not going to be something ridiculous, but let's say it's like a high minus three or a low minus six. And yeah, it's not a big deal, but it could make a difference. It could get you, if you're, if you're putting in the work, an extra player that could be valuable. It gives you a reason to try, but at the same time, it still gives you, like you said, the ability to kind of screw around. Like maybe you don't care about an LM6. Maybe you do, but it, it gives the week some meaning. It gives it some importance. Because this was just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Something more than nothing. I think that's the that's the, the takeaway here. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in the absence of that, uh, I suppose it was kind of nice to just sort of sit back and watch my team rack up 400 points in, a, in an extended session. Um, but just for not. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have much more to say about it. I, we know where we both stand on this. Uh, the league knows where we stand on this. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, it turns out that uh, we're not afraid to use our voices, Jeremiah. And uh, <laughs> we don't even care who's listening often. We'll just give it because that's what we are. It's true. And league management's not afraid to turn their backs and plug their ears. So there you go. Which is fair. You know what? And this this is why you and I are hosting the podcast uh, most every weekend. Uh, they're not. Yeah, well, thank God for that. Okay, well, one of the staples we've had in this podcast, as you and I have been running, uh, is at every sort of, it, it's it's worked out to be about every quarter of the season, give or take. I think it actually ends up being closer to one third if we go back and actually do the math. But the idea of what is the state of the league Uh in breaking it down into its sort of composite parts, right? The top five, the bottom five, and then sort of the middle 10 uh, split in the middle as well. Just sort of breaking it into tiers and and groups of fives and going back and forth with our thoughts on whether this is what we expect or what we don't. Uh, Given that we had nothing to talk about uh, from last week, I figured this would be a pretty easy thing to add to the... uh, to the rundown today. So we're going to go ahead and start right at the top. We got the Mad King coming in 11 and 2 as we come out of this break here. He is at this point the undisputed number 1 team, not even have not even sharing that record uh with anyone. He's leading the league in both winning percentage and 
also overall points. Pretty safe to say this is exactly where we expected him to be. There's no surprise here. Not really. Um, it's interesting, though. Like it, To me, what's interesting is he has two losses. Because Ryan's mm-hmm. gone many a season undefeated to the game mark. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. But at the same time, it's like this paradox, right? Like Ryan's 11-2. and two. I think he's one win better than the next highest team. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like that, right? Like when it when you look at the teams on paper, it sure feels like the gap is bigger than one game. Um, and so it's weird in that sense, right? Like we were talking about this kind of personally, but again, like if the number two or number three teams going up against Ryan, like I think Ryan is the heavy favorite and I don't think it's close. And I don't know that there's anyone in the right mind that would logically argue against that. Yeah. And like the records are one thing, but the guy's point total is more, I think, indicative of his team. I think on paper, we're not even seeing it firing on all cylinders yet. Um, he made some minor deadline moves, but the thing is he didn't really have any moves to make. Um, so it's hard to improve your team when it's already pretty much set at every position. Yeah. And I mean, one of the reasons that I think it feels like he is sort of head and shoulders above is that right now his average, uh, his based on his total points over 13 weeks, his average is a 294 week. That is what he is putting up there every week on average. The number two team, uh, which is actually Aiden, which may not be uh, what you'd expect, but Aiden is putting up a 244. <laughs> that is 50 points back. 5-0. Yeah. And that's why it feels like it's more than just one win away. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's probably 100% what it is. Because you see Ryan putting up those point totals every week, and, and it's like he is the only guy doing it, right? Like other teams kind of come, they kind of go, they go spike, yeah. they go down. Ryan is just always there. So it's like in the postseason, if he's going to go like this, the team that he faces is going to have to either put up its best performance or lose. And it's just, you have no control over that. So that, that's tough. Yeah. So Ryan's on top. We all agree that's where he probably should be. We all agree that there's this is not unexpected uh, in the grand scheme of things. So let's go ahead and jump into the next three teams. So we've got a, a three-way tie currently at 10 and 3. Uh, in no particular order, that would be fourth quarter Jimmy Butler with Tillo's team. Uh, we get the Midland Raccoons and then myself, uh, a measure of force. All of us are 10 and 3. We're all basically guaranteed a playoff spot at this point as far as ESPN is concerned. And even if we were to somehow drop the next six, eh, chances are probably still high that we're floating in around the top eight at the very least. Um of those four teams, or sorry, three teams specifically, uh, Tillo and I are also top five in overall points. The Midland Raccoons slide down to about eighth overall. What are your thoughts? Does this group make sense based on expectations, based on how you how you saw it going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tillo is right where I thought he would be mm-hmm. uh, in that in that second tier discussion. I'll, I'll admit, I didn't have either the raccoons or you in this discussion coming into the season. Um, As the season has progressed though, I've seen enough to understand that you guys do belong in this tier. Now, now I personally would have a ranking and it's tough. It's really tough. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you and Tillo are basically neck and neck. So, but I'm going to put Tillo first for now. Um, I'm going to put you second, but I think you're right. I think it's dead even. And then I think it's a pretty big drop off to the raccoons in third. Um, Now, 
Tillo didn't really do like he added Paul Goldschmidt, which is huge. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. big deal. But other than that, he didn't really do a lot, right? Like I think he he had maybe a, a relief pitcher here or there, but that was about it. Um, for you, like you were probably, and I'm you know I'm going to put an article out next week grading half well i'm going to do half the league at once but grading everybody's deadlines and you were one of the most active teams i think we can all agree on that right so you basically remade your offense by getting schwarber and correa and leoti Tavares, and then you also added a mace something you haven't had on your roster arguably ever but definitely Mm -hmm. a long time uh in tyler glass now so so i so i think um what i'm really interested in from this tier is what does your team look like coming out of the break right so is your team markedly better um, or are these guys still struggling? Because the way they've been performing, those additions might not do much. But if they can perform to their career expectations, your team could surpass Tillo and be the clear number two. And I think that is fairly realistic because I just don't see Correa and Schwarber both being bad the rest of the season. One of them, okay. Two of them, probably not. So that's really exciting to me. I think you have the potential to be at the top of this tier and probably will be by the end of the season. The Raccoons... I don't, oh man, I, it's tough. I don't really buy into what they're doing. And that's just because the point total is, is just so bad. Right. Um, it's just really hard to buy in. And when I look at some of the players, I, I saw a lot of hearts, a hot starts at the beginning. So, you know, Jared Kelnick is a prime example of that. Um, somebody who started off hot, somebody who's not so good now. And I looked at their pitching actually the other day and I went, that's not going to hold up. Uh, Cause I don't, I just don't see it. Like Sonny, Marcus Stroman, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, yeah, those guys are not, for one, you know, uh, clean bills of health kind of guys. And two, none of them have an extensive track record of being elite. So behind them as we enter the postseason. So those are kind of just my general thoughts uh, on that tier. Yeah, I, I mean... I generally agree with you. I also have Tillo sort of ahead of me, and maybe that's just sort of false modesty. But there's also that that idea of he he's been sort of rated ahead of me um, by by most accounts all season, and probably for many many years, right? Like I I get it. I've got a I've got a good standing in in my overall record now for for three years running. But Tillo's just always been in that conversation, whereas I am typically on the outside and you know surprised to be to be sort of making it um when it comes to that uh the raccoons yeah i agree they're they're my sort of shock in in this regard as well and it might have something of a comeuppance coming they've got not the easiest uh schedule going forward not the hardest but they've got two big matchups that they can really sort of prove their mettle in the last six weeks uh, as they face the Squirtle Squad in uh, week 17 and then Tillo himself in week 19. Now the rest, yep, the rest are all, you know, four and nine and three and 10 teams. But I think those two weeks are going to probably give us all the information we know. If the Raccoons can hold their own against the Squirtle Squad and can hold their own against Tillo, that's going to be meaningful uh, in, in this tier, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't, frankly, I don't see them beating either team mm. at their current state. I mean, I, I actually personally, and I like the raccoon straight up yep. um, based on their the, on their deadline, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think both teams are ahead of them. And I think that'll play out in the matchups as we, as we move forward. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the thing with Tillo is he's always good, but not great. Like, you know, like he, when it comes to playoff time, he always just comes up a bit short. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the roster. I don't know if it's the management. I don't know if it's something else. He might put up like 240 and he'll lose to like a 270. And that's just kind of how his season always goes. He's good for a round or two, but it doesn't make the final usually. I think he and I might have actually faced off in the first round. I want to say two of the last three years. And mm-hmm. that's sad for him. Happy for me, I guess, because I, I, I keep winning. But well, well you know, he probably won't have to deal with that this year. So I'm sure he's looking. This forward is true. To that. Yeah, this is true. Th- this could be that uh, semifinal matchup that has been uh, foretold for years. Oh, I can't. if you guys meet in the semis, that would just be, just be great. Yeah, we'll 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 have to see. All right, well, let's. Uh, I, I I think we're all pretty happy with the ten and three group. The raccoons, even if ten and three feels a little rich, they're probably still a top eight team at the very least. But let's go ahead and advance to the fifth overall team right now. Who are the stuffy clap clappers sitting alone at nine and four? Mm-hmm. They they're not in a tie with anyone. They've got a 93% chance to make the playoffs, although I do want to point out that if they did lose the next six games, they would have that approximate 500 record that we've all been calling for uh, (laughs) all year long, which is not lost on me. Um, I don't think that'll happen, but that's still technically there. Are you surprised to see the Raccoons in the top eight? Or sorry, my apologies, the Clappers in the top eight. Yeah, I mean, coming to the season, this is this would not have been on my card. And I fully admit that. I, I had them marked down for another, whatever it is, 11 and 8 or 10 and 9 kind of season. Um, so this was this is definitely a surprise. But, but when I think about it, and when I look at their roster, and I'm looking at their roster versus the other playoff teams, this is probably about right. Like, the pitching is definitely the calling card, in my opinion, of this team. Um, and the bats are decent but there's holes there and then they obviously are not going to be filled because there's no trades to be made mm-hmm. um i you know the, the management also is suspect so I'll, I'll give you an example uh nate pearson is someone who could definitely help that team who's not currently up on the roster um yeah so he's not big on calling up prospects jordan walker another huge prospect that could help his team in an area that he desperately needs not getting called up. So I, I just don't have a ton of faith when it comes to the rubber meeting the road. It's fine. He's he's fifth. That's great. But if I'm the fourth place team, I'm not scared of that. You know, like he's leaving points on the table every week by just not calling those guys up. So, um, yeah, I mean, whenever you get a manager like that, it's it's – there's the door is, is open. Let's just say that in, a, in any matchup right. with the, with the Clappers. Well, his, his last six matchups are pretty interesting. And he, he, I, th- I think there's a little bit of a, of a prove it setup uh, in his final six as he faces you, then Graham, Nick, RKR, Neeson and Aiden. That's a, that's a bit of a murderer's row in some ways. So that's, that's what, six matchups remaining, right? That's right. Correct. I'm going to go out on a limb right now. So he's currently, he's currently what, sorry, nine and five? He's nine currently and nine and four. Yep. Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say he goes two and four. 
So I'm going to put him at 11 and 8 to finish the year. And I'll put him in 8th place or 7th place to finish the season. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah I, I can see it. The, the path is certainly there. Okay, well, let's... So, so far, as it stands, you've got... You're happy with three of the five teams we've <laughs> talked as being top five, yeah. which is cool because now we're going to talk about some of the teams that might have to take over and slide up. And our six and seven team uh, right now are eight and five as far as the records are concerned, and that would be Aiden and the Squirtle Squad. Now, these are typical, typically the kinds of matchups that... I know when I'm facing, I, I pay a little more attention. Um, I certainly don't rest on, <laughs> I I don't stop moving things just because I'm facing the Squirtle Squad. If for no other reason than moves that I make are moves they can't. Uh, and Aiden has just got a team that always tends to, to put it together. And as we had talked about previously, he is currently the uh, second overall point total. Um, so clearly capable of of putting a, a good week together now they're currently ranked number six and number seven overall so certainly in the playoffs but do you see them getting higher do you see them taking one possibly two of those top five spots yeah i mean i'm gonna go out on a limb here so i really like the squad um mm-hmm. the squad are elite managers they made elite deadline moves um i think the squad finds its way into the top five by the end of the year Probably okay. fifth, probably fifth, but but I wouldn't be surprised if they were fourth. I would rather the squad and Aiden's team over both the fourth and fifth place teams right now. So I'll go ahead and call that there's a potential for both these teams to be fourth and fifth, and the teams we just discussed to be sixth, seventh, or eighth, or worse by the end of the year. Because I, I do think, oh man, Aiden, Aiden is tough too for a different reason, but the squad fully confident in what they are. They're a top four or five team. I think they're going to find their way to success and i think most people would agree with that right like i think you would agree with that in a vacuum as well um for aiden i'm very surprised that he didn't do anything at the deadline Hmm. um aiden had a lot of prospect capital just sitting there that he could move bobby miller jackson merrill come to mind um and aiden needs bats he needed a second baseman he needed like a utility bat i would not be comfortable riding Isak Paredes into the playoffs, but that's me. Or I wouldn't be comfortable riding like Jorge Polanco on one leg. So I'm very surprised he didn't address that because the bats were the clear weakness. And if he upgraded the bats, we're talking like a top three team potentially. The points already backed that up. So surprised he didn't do anything. Definitely a missed opportunity in my opinion. Um, And it could come back to haunt him for sure. For sure, for sure. Well, as we've sort of called out with a couple of these other teams, Aiden's got a bit of a bumpy road ahead, and there's a lot of show-me games uh, in his future. Right now, he's he's head-to-head against me, um, mm. but then he goes Star Boys, Chris, you, Graham, and Garth McInnes, right? And so when we're looking at that, that is there's a lot of matchups that are winnable for sure, but they're also very losable if if he's not cracking the whip, if he's not on his game. I mean, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think, sorry, so I know you mentioned Chris, myself, and the Clappers. Who am I missing out of that? Graham, Garth, and Ben. Graham is a non-playoff team. Uh, Clappers, okay. Yeah, that's a tough matchup. Myself, it would depend on what you think. I'm a non-playoff team. 
that's a lot of non-playoff teams. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of non-playoff teams. I, I don't think that's nearly as bad as uh, the Clappers that I think you, the schedule you mentioned for them. So eh, Aiden, Aiden probably should win most of those matchups. I, I, I would argue the Clappers are a toughest matchup and it's not that tough. So the um, yeah. Squirtle squad, just to put them in the same mm-hmm. uh, sort of light with the same record, um, they're looking at Flex, Stads, the Raccoons, Nick, Jamil, and Tillo. So they've got two playoff worthy matchups mm-hmm. with the, the Raccoons and Tillo straight up. And then four other teams that are, well, <laughs> four and nine effectively. Um so both of these clubs could go four and two based well, on what we're yeah. seeing. I, I think they're going to. I, I think the squad at worst goes four and two. I know they're losing to Flex this week, but it's early. So if they can rebound from that, I think they go five and one. Like, okay. who are they losing to in that in that range? Tillo, I guess. Right, I'll, yeah. I'll mark Tillo down as the L there and take five W's from the rest. Okay. Well, I mean, if they if they go five and one in the last six, then it they're pretty easily going to, I mean, you'd have to assume they're in the, the top, top three yeah. to five at that point for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is, this has been fun, but now it's time to talk about, because all of these teams are pretty much assured uh, in the mm-hmm. playoffs. These are all 85% or more according to ESPN based on where we stand <laughs> right now. Okay. Our eighth place team and our ninth place team share a seven and six record. So they're basically at that 500 mark. And that is RKR and Chris with Mummy's Good Boys. I know you have two very, very different opinions about this teams. My question to you is, do you see RKR as being a guaranteed top eight team? Or do you see maybe some weakness that they might fall out? RKR should be a top team on paper. Like, if we're just talking the paper of it all, he mm-hmm. is definitely a top eight team, right? But, like, the performance of things is going to really dictate how that goes. And what I mean specifically, because obviously, duh, his performance, but, like, Austin Riley being, you know, a first-round talent again will be important. Grayson Rodriguez being a serviceable pitcher will be important. And arguably, the most provocative deal of the deadline, trading – arguably certainty in Bryce Elder for the upside of Justin (laughs) Verlander isn't going to be a big part of whether he succeeds because let's be honest here with ourselves. Justin Verlander has been 40 years old this season. Mm -hmm. Um, He looks like a dad. And so that's fine, but you traded a guy now, now granted Bryce Elder has no track record and he doesn't strike a lot of people out, but he's good at suppressing contact and you know, this season is putting up three points per game more than Justin Verlander is. So how are all those guys going to perform? Are they going to perform up to the potential? Is Cody Bellinger going to go back to like first month Cody Bellinger or just this piece of shit? Is Christopher Morrell going to be good? Like he has the talent to be a solid playoff team, but it just, there's just been a lot of down years for him from across the board on his players. And if some of those like you can kind of tick upwards, we could be looking at a top 16. Well, the, his path to get there 
looks pretty grim. So he's in a show me matchup right now this week uh, against the other mentioned team uh, mm-hmm. with Chris's mummy's good boy, both, both at seven, six. So winner puts space between them uh, next week. He faces you. Then he has Graham and then he finishes out with the last three going up against the clappers, Nick, and then finishes it off against Neeson with the mad King. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. The Neeson part is very tough, right? So, um, you know, like no team is going to take a week off. It's not like real life where it's like, ah, I, I got first place sewn up. I'm not going to try. Like, like that's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, it depends what you think. Yeah. Again, a lot of these depend what you think of my team, right? Like you're, you're saying yep. this is tough and whatever. If you think my team's really good, then yeah, it's a tough go. Uh, but if I'm just my Europa self, then, then yeah, I, I mean, yeah, he, I think he's still a playoff team. It might be eight though. <laughs> it might be eight after that schedule. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's really what it comes down to for me, right? Like, if he can take a win against Chris and he can take a win against the Clappers, those are two potential playoff teams themselves, right? We, we've already argued that those are in the bottom half of the playoffs. So those are the teams he has to beat. He then needs to bring home, at the very least, two more wins out of you, Graham, and Nick, which, yeah, on any given week, we know your team can put up a big to- point total and, and just be, you know, <laughs> and just upset somebody. <laughs> Graham's a little less consistent, but Nick has also put up some kind of scary point totals if you're not careful, right? So he needs to bring home. I honestly, I think he's got to take four of these wins if he wants a spot in the playoffs for sure. Uh, and that had put him at sort of that 11 and eight mark that we were putting for McInnes with the, the clap clappers as well. Well, this would be, I don't, again, this is fantasy. So it's just like, less impactful but like if he faces ryan at the end of the season and then faces ryan in the playoffs i don't know if there's any advantage to that but it would be really interesting if ryan starts for example were to line up in an optimistic ideal way for the last week of the season and a poor way in week one of the season of the playoffs which would not be unheard of um yeah where you blow all your your load in some matchup that doesn't matter and then your starts kind of suck for the first round of the playoffs, making a much more interesting matchup. Yep. Absolutely could happen. Could be interesting. Could be fun. Yeah. On the other side of our seven and six teams, uh, currently sitting ninth, so technically on the outside looking in, we've got Chris. Um, we, we've we heard your opinion on Chris all in all, so I'm going to give you his last six teams instead, uh, just to see if there's a path for him to keep holding on to the uh to the playoff dreams or if he ends up being probably the top seed in europa but right now he's in a show me matchup against rkr next week he has neeson then aiden and then it goes penis illuminati and chow to finish it off so i have two things one what's that Mm. slack emoji put litter in its place so we'll do that (laughs) and two I hope Neeson next week does half the shit that he mentions in his article to other people. I, I hope the pants are down and it's fucking raw. That's what I hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So based on uh, what you are hoping for, if not necessarily accurately prognosticating, uh, you see him going 0-6 and finishing at 7-12 <laughs> and 12 on the season. No, I mean, I mean <laughs> realistically, he's probably going to go 3-3. Three and three. Right. And okay. like, is that good enough? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. It's probably like 10 and 9. Probably not. 
So. Okay. And, and I mean, based on everything we've talked about in the, the top eight teams, which ends at RKR, to be clear, uh, mm-hmm. 10 and 9 would fall outside of that because right now we would have RKR and the Clappers as our 11 and 8 teams basically yeah. holding the 7 8 spots, uh, depending on you know how that orders yeah. out officially. Um, okay. Well, then let's use this opportunity to slide to uh, teams number 10 and 11. Now we're up to our six and seven teams. These are teams that are under 500. Uh, these are teams that have an 18% chance to make the playoffs, according to ESPN. Uh, we've got Graham and we've got Chow. Now, Chow, we've talked about at length. The injuries have caught up with them, and man, that sucks. Uh, Graham started hot, has cooled off a lot. Who do you think has that chance? Is there a chance to sniff top eight from either of these two spots? I don't think so. Frankly, I, I don't. Um, Chow's too injured. Like, if he had some his guys back, I'd be like, yeah, maybe there's a chance. But he's too injured. Judge, although, apparently might be back soon. So you never know. I'm mm-hmm. saying there's a chance. Graham, there's no chance. Like, Christian Javier has been bad. He has nobody behind that that you can rely on. I, I just don't see it. Um, and the bats, like the bats have come back to being what they are. Ian Happ is not a viable fantasy option. Right. And we, right. and he's showing us that, um, you know, Brian De La Cruz is a nice player, but he's not somebody you want to start on a playoff roster. He's a bench bat, you know? So like, these are just kind of the way things are. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Graham's going to sniff the playoffs. And I don't think Chow will either as much as maybe I'd like him to. Graham's one path to the playoff comes from winning against teams that are above him in the, in basically in the standings, right? So Graham has one of the hardest schedules uh, that we've talked about so far. And it makes sense because his name has come up a handful of times already. But right now he's up against Nick uh, and he's getting slaughtered by Nick. Uh, next week he's got the Clappers. Then it's RKR, Neeson, Aiden, and finishes it off against Penis. But if he takes home victories in even three of those four matchups against the uh, the teams above him, and then also takes out Nick and and Jeffrey Lim, then you know what? That's a that's a five win. That that puts him at that same eleven and eight that we've been talking about, and things could get interesting. But it absolutely comes down to whether or not he can beat the teams ahead of him. Those are the teams he's chasing, and he'd have to prove it. So when I heard you list those matchups, I counted one win that I'd be like confident giving him one. Um, mm. The reason I don't have faith in him against playoff teams is I don't even remember how many times I've seen Graham go into a matchup and drop like 170. Like, right. like a lot, right? Like I, I haven't looked at the point totals, like his total points, but I bet you he's like 12. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the it, answer is... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth. He's okay. tenth overall. Okay. And a lot of those come from his hot start. Like, if we, mm-hmm. you can't do this, but if you were to cut out the first five weeks of the season, I bet you he's like 15. Because he's just been crap yeah, since then. Um, so I just have no faith in that turning around. And, you know, if you're stacking up his point total against any of those teams, on average, he won't beat them. Okay. Well, we're going to do the same thing for Chow 
Uh, and in his matchups, he's he's looking at uh, Jamil right now. Then he goes Tillo, Ash, Newton, Ben, and Chris to finish it off. There's winnable matchups in there, but there's also a couple of, again, show me you can win against the better teams. Yeah, I don't think he beats Tillo or yourself, but he could win those other three matchups and go three and two, but that would make him... Well, who's he playing this week? Sorry. Uh, this week, he is currently up against Jamil. Yeah, so he could go four and two, which would make him eleven and eight. Nope, ten and nine. You're right. It'd ten make and him nine. Ten nope. and nine. Yeah, like I, I, yeah. So he would literally have to beat one of you or Tillo to get in, and he could, but like it's dependent on getting Judge and McClanahan back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think from from the people outside of the existing top eight, I think Chow still is my. He's the dark horse for anybody that could. I don't mm. think he will. Um. But, like, if McClanahan and Judge come back at 100% and just deal and they just deliver, they can absolutely beat any team in any particular week. And that includes Tillo and myself. Our records be damned. So there could be a story here. Um, But for now, I agree. I think they are probably going to be the number one or number two seed in, in Europa. I watched McClanahan pitch last night, and the Rays treated him with kid gloves, which is whatever. He's the best left-handed pitcher in baseball. He might be the best pitcher in baseball, period. Um, just in terms of, like, consistency. Like, he's not Spencer Strider in terms of, like, strikeouts. But that guy, I saw a stat. It was, like, four or five of his last, like, six starts. He's given up two runs or less. Like, he just is a machine. So He's good. Um, he's really good. Judge apparently may be back very soon. If he gets Judge back this week or next, could happen. But there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> Yeah, there's a chance. Well, let's go on to the next group because we've actually got something of an interesting collection of five and eight teams uh, currently ranked 12 through 15. Uh, and in no particular order, that would be you, Ben, Flex and Jeffrey Lim all sit in five and eight. Now, your point totals are all over the place uh, in this one. Um, I would argue, just based on this list, you are the top of that group, and I don't actually think it's that close, as you're sitting as the sixth overall point getter right now, which is going to give you the tiebreaker, if nothing else. I know you are low on your team from week to week, but you've you've got a good amount in the bank in that regard, and that tiebreaker is the first thing that matters. And the rest of them don't even come up until like bottom 10 in, in points overall. So I think you are pretty easily the top of the five and eight teams, uh, which, you know, in my head, it sounded a little better than, than when I said it out loud. Uh, you're the best five and eight team out there. My friend, your three eighty five winning percentage is the best. Um, <laughs> penis and, and limb. We, we sort of saw, you know, not a lot, not a lot of big moves happening at the deadline. Uh, Flex made a couple. Ben, I think the the slide is is still on. But if you were to rank those four, who probably are the next four teams in Europa, I do believe these all four of these teams, in my opinion, make Europa and do not slide to the vase. How are you ranking you, Ben, Flex, and Lim? Well, I'm here to go on a tangent first. And then to propose a question to you, and then I'll rank the teams. But I'm here to make Europa re- relevant, okay? I am the defending Europa champion. I proudly mm-hmm. wear the T-shirt in public. Love the T-shirt. Right. 
Um, wish there was like a small belt because like Europa just screams like intercontinental title, so we really need to get on that and then like make the league title something else. Um, or like a bracelet that looks like a belt. I think you'd wear yeah. that too. Oh, I totally would. I so would. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, like Flex has staked his claim to Europa, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, my question for you actually is: So I'm sixth in points. Yep. Do you think I could be one of the top Europa teams in general, not just a five and eight? Yes, absolutely. Um, you are, and again, and uh, it's a great deal because of the points that you've already got banked, right? Mm-hmm. In like our first tiebreaker is that point total, and right now you have a point total that rivals the top eight teams. So naturally, that is going to get you a lot of good times in the rest of the tiebreaks going forward. Now, you've got some work ahead of you. Uh, you only mm-hmm. face two sub 500 teams in the last four. Um, so you've, you've got to work for it, but absolutely you've got, you've got a claim to be one of the top three Europa teams. Um, if, if I had to put pen to paper and, and make the prognostication happen, I would probably, I'd probably still rank it. Uh, Chris Chow, you, I think those are the, the top three, the top three seeds and probably in that order when the season wraps up. Yeah, I mean, so so the four teams you asked me to rank, I'll go myself, Flex, Ben, Lim. Um, yep. I would put myself second. I would go Chow myself. Uh, I guess Chris, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then from there, like, you know, so so I guess it depends on your vision of Chris, but yeah. I, I, before, mm-hmm. I think it's myself and Flex. Ben is clearly third, Lim is fourth. Do you think any of that group will slide to the vase? I think one of them or Ben will. Yeah, okay. I could see it. Yeah. Okay. Well, for that to happen, that's implying that the bottom five teams, one of them are going to have to do something. And the bottom five teams comes in two groups. The top three of the bottom five are Stads, Nick, and Jamil, all sitting at four and nine. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to see which one falls out of the vase. That's the only thing. Yeah, because then the bot like, and then then we've got two worse than even that group with Ash and Kaminsky rounding them out at three and ten. Like I'm not going to give Ash or Kaminsky a leg up. They are not getting out of the vase. I don't think after what Jamil just did at the t- at the trade deadline, for all the right reasons, I don't think that gets them the legs to get into Europa. <laughs> if I'm being honest, and I mean Stads or Nick, I. Mm. Tough call. Tough yeah, call. yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong in that in that projection. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've got those bottom five teams. They're definitely not out of those five teams. Or let let's be fair. Of the top three bottom five teams, Stads, Nick, and Jamil, who is your eight seed in Europa? All four and nine right now. Sorry. Uh, Stads, Jamil, and who? Nick. Stads. Okay. Yeah. Man, how the mighty have fallen. He, (laughs) uh, former number one overall with a bang, and now this. He faces... The Raccoons, the Squirtle Squad, then Jamil, Tillo, Ash, and Newton. 
Yeah. That's what he's got. That is brutal. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Nick Um, being the other option faces just for completion. Uh, He's got Graham, the Raccoons, Clap Clappers, Squirtle Squad, RKR, and Jamil. Yeah, that's a tough row, too. Yeah, I'm going to stick with stats, but I'm very low (laughs) confidence in either of those. All right. Well, there we go. I think we've got we got sort of three teams to watch, three teams that might move up uh, into the lofty elements of a playoff run as far as Chow is concerned or a Europa run as far as Stads is concerned. Um, but at the very least, there's some storylines that might be worth following in the not distant future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like they have stuff to play for. Europa is the place to be. The Vays won't get you a good pick. So, Yeah, I agree. All right, so yeah, we might as well get into the sort of other big thing that happened in our week of no matchups, and that being the trade deadline, which originally felt like it was going to be pretty light, but there happened to be something of a flurry, not necessarily big deals, but a lot of deals. Uh, Since the last time we got together, um, you created yet another uh, trade analysis article, the uh, trade scra- trade stravaganza part two, uh, where you covered a uh, a couple of bigger trades. I think there were two or three in that particular article, um, mm-hmm. including my uh, big trade. So I'm naturally going to uh, skew into a, a quick conversation around around that. But I figure, given the nearly 20 trades that happened uh, over the course of these past two weeks since uh, since you and I were at the very least last talking about them, um, I figured we can just sort of pick and choose a handful of the ones that we felt were the most impactful and sort of newsworthy, if you will. And uh, we can chat about that. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds good. I'm going to release a part three, uh, maybe a part mm. four down the road. It's just... There's a bunch of articles to go with the trade deadline that need to get written and uh, it's finding the time to do it. But yeah, I'm good with that. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and uh, we'll just start with your part two article itself, uh, because we're the first sort of trade that's covered in there actually involves one of the top three teams, uh, Tillo acquiring Alexis Diaz, Paul Goldschmidt and Tommy Conley. And moving uh, Frankie Montas, Edwin Diaz, Taj Bradley, Mason Black and a pick. Now, based on how you've sort of rated this one in particular, you're pretty high on Tillo's get, pretty low on what Ben has done. Does it just come down to how big of a of a positive you are on like Diaz and Goldschmidt as opposed to the other Diaz and the rest of the pieces that moved? Um, I think it's you know, and I, I outlined this in the article, it's two parts, right? The return is bad mm-hmm. and the process is worse, right? So, um, you know, you're giving up, I know he's not an MVP caliber player this year, but you're giving up arguably a top 75 player <clears throat> and one of the best closers in the game who's young, who does get a lot of strikeouts. And even in our league, saves and holds has a lot of value. And in return, you're getting back, well, Taj Bradley, who's been, mediocre at best and i think that's putting it very kindly in terms of his performance this season um edwin diaz and frankie montas are no good to him this year like they're literally useless no matter what he's competing for right europa the phase the championship they're useless to him 
Montas just got shut down again because he's suffering problems. And I have no idea what either of those guys is going to be in 2024. I, I don't know. Are they going to be their old selves? Like, maybe. But if you tear your ACL, would you put money on that happening? Like, I wouldn't. Yeah. As a pitcher, right? Who needs to push off their leg all the time to throw. Like, it's just a very risky return that he didn't need to make. I mean, we you've talked multiple times about Ryan panicking, making moves. And the value here, to me, in my eyes, is very similar. And he closed himself off to other offers by saying, well, I'm not going to move anybody but my relief pitchers. And then he goes and moves arguably his biggest trade chip and nobody knew about it. Yeah. I mean, we, we've heard himself acknowledge that he was, he's pretty big on, on Mason black specifically. Um, I'm still high on Edwin Diaz. I think that that's the perfect combination of, of talent and opportunity. Um, You know, closer for the Mets is, the bloody closer for the Mets, right? We don't expect them to always be this bad, although LOL hmm. Mets, I guess. Um, moving Alexis Diaz, though, is the part that sort of makes me question it a little bit. Like, honestly, if you want to move a 34-year-old Paul Goldschmidt, do it, right? I, I think you could have done better on the return. That's that's my opinion. Um, but functionally speaking, Alexis Diaz is exactly what Edwin Diaz is, but a lot younger, right? Is Cincy the Mets? I mean, no. One of those two teams will actually get into the playoffs, and it might not be New York. Um, but he's young. He's a fireballer, and he's very likely to be moved if Cincy falls off. But Cincy right now is somehow a division leader. And so I agree. This feels like it was a bit of a of a low return uh, for, for what it was. I like what it does for Tillo, though, right? Like Tillo moves basically nothing and and i think this is going to be a, a common theme in in some of our trade talks that we're having here this evening is because when you have the ability to move pieces that are not on your major league roster and get back pieces that are going to be on your major league roster and your competitive team that is just win 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 there is nothing better than pulling that out and just saying haha it's mine uh, it's just value town. And again, the pieces that he got are useful. They're going to make a difference. They are valuable and useful pieces to him. And so I see this as, you know, just the way you got to do it, right? It's very clear he was not getting what he needed out of the likes of, I, I can't even remember who his first baseman uh, was most recently, but I, I'm trying to think, like, I think he's thrown out like Josh Bell, LeMay. It was, was Josh Bell, yeah. Yeah, maybe Connor Joe was in there for a time as well. Um, yeah. All of those feel like Paul Goldschmidt is just, that's how you feel better at night. You're going to feel better about yourself with Paul Goldschmidt instead of Connor Joe or Josh Bell. Yeah, I think I gave him, man, I think I gave him an A or an A minus. Um, and looking an back a, on yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking back on it, that grade seems too low. Like, there is literally zero downside here. Like, if these players are complete dog shit, it doesn't matter because he gave up nothing. Like, yeah. Diaz and Montas were going to do nothing for him this year, literally zero. And then Taj Bradley was literally doing nothing because you can't call someone up like that as a prospect who's that bad with, like, a 5 ERA to make it happen. So so none of those guys were going to help him, none. And you get back. Now, Tillo had a lot of bat holes. His bats are it's common knowledge from our show that his bats are the problem. 
Well, you take one of those, arguably one of your two biggest holes, because I think uh, second base is also a problem, or maybe it's third base, but but anyway. And you fill it with probably the best first baseman available on the trade market. He was the best first baseman that moved in our league this year. Hmm. And you get an elite closer. You basically got younger, they're, they're brothers, but like younger Edwin Diaz. Mm-hmm. And I kind of push back on that, on your Edwin, Alexis Diaz take, because the Reds aren't going anywhere, man. Their talent is elite. And next year, he'll be around. He'll be on the team. The Reds might actually be gasp good and hit 85 wins, yeah. and he's going to be closing for them. So I, I just don't see how this is. There's no risk here. Yeah. Zero. So an A might be too low. It might be an A-plus move. And for Ben, why are you taking on all the risk? You're When you're giving up the good players, you shouldn't have to take on like suspect risk in the sense of like injured players, prospects. Okay. Injured players. Why? I, I don't understand. Yeah. And, and I guess he's, if he's, if he thinks that it's going to be better next year. Right. And at which point, okay, sure. And, and you look at this hall and it's like, he's got three starting pitchers coming back. That's, that's good. Right. If, if he felt that that's where he needed to sort of make that difference, Taj Bradley, Frankie Montas, Mason Black, I guess we, we saw that the, that starting pitching was expensive at the deadline. And, and maybe this is what that actually is a reflection of. But I agree. Uh, this this is pretty easily a win for 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 Tillo in the grand scheme. I don't easily see the path of of upside uh, for Ben specifically. Um, maybe that first round low miners pick is better than I'm expecting, although it's coming out of Tillo's camp. So it's probably going to be what? 16th. That's what I said. 15th overall, something like that. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I'll just wrap with this. He told me after the trade, when I kind of questioned him about it, that he wants to compete next year. He's retooling. He's not rebuilding. He wants to compete next year. And in that light, the return makes a bit more sense in that those guys should all be helpful next year, but I just don't know how much. I think it's you could have got players that could still help you next year, but aren't that risky. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and advance into uh, my trade, or as I had mm-hmm. been talking about it, uh, my full Jeremiah. That's where I <laughs> stepped out in the cold, opened up my trench coat, and just showed the full Jeremiah to the world, where I traded functionally everything in the kitchen sink, anything of value in my in my minor league system, uh, and in doing so, got back a couple of holes. Uh, basically people that were going to fill some, uh, some pretty gaping holes in my offense as a result. Um, yeah. Thoughts. Well, first, I mean, everyone's giving me, you're calling this the Jeremiah. I mean, the most famous all or nothing trade involved me, but I was the one getting the everything, right? Like I gave up Charlie Blackman and got Acuna Soto and a bunch of other prospect pieces. So it's not just me giving away all the talent. Um, I really like this deal for you. I think I gave you an A minus. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think it's. The only reason it's not on par with Tillo's trade is because the pieces you're getting are less certain, right? But like the the deal makes so much sense. Like you are <clears throat> arguably the best team you've ever had. Mm-hmm. You had already acquired Tyler Glass. Now you might as well shove. You've already basically shoved. You like put. You're like pot committed. Might as well shove. <laughs> um. So. 
you get Kyle Schwarber and you get Carlos Correa. And let's be let's be honest with ourselves here. If these guys weren't struggling, they wouldn't have been available. At least not at yes. that price. Right? So you get a discount. You buy low on Schwarber and Correa. Because let's be clear. The prospects you gave up were not super elite prospects. There was just a lot of them. And if those guys perform to just their career norms, you're laughing. Because it mm-hmm. kills the production that you had before. Because left field, you were running out, gosh... Christian Yelich for a while, but I don't know who it was recently. Um, and shortstop was Volpe, but you traded him. I traded so him. So yeah. there was just a hole there. So yep. Correa is a pretty damn good plug. And Schwarber replaces the unmentionable person. I can't remember, but they were probably the equivalent of waiver fodder. So they were, in fact, waiver fodder. Yeah. Sure. So, <laughs> so that's fantastic. Um, so I love the move for you. Like, this is the kind of move teams like you need to make. You see holes, you better go fix them when you like have a chance to win a title because who knows when that t- chance will come around again. It could be next year, but it might be five years from now. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So I love the move from your perspective. I thought it was fantastic. I'm going to disagree with you on one point. Uh, I did move one, uh, what would be classically termed elite prospect in Royce Lewis. Now, always hurt uh, and it <laughs> was in fact hurt when I made this trade yet again. Uh, He went down with yet another injury, but he's pretty close to a consensus top five um, across the board and has been for a long time. Health is the concern uh, in a very real way there. So, and honestly that hurt to move because he, he has the potential to be Byron Buxton. Uh, And that's probably actually the comp I want to make in general. Because he has that speed, he has that power, and he has more than enough talent to put it all together. But just like Byron Buxton, uh, health is also a skill, and he doesn't have that. Yeah, I mean, he's exhausted his prospect eligibility, I think, so he's not on list anymore. But coming into the year, he was like 50th or 40th, 40 or 50s, somewhere in there. Um, but he was our coming into the year. So I don't, I don't know. I don't see Royce Lewis that way. I see him more as, gosh, I kind of see him as like Carlos Correa, which is a damn good player. But like, if you can get Carlos Correa, why not? The certainty is already there. Um, I actually, now did you give up Colt Keith in this deal? Because that was the prospect where I was like, eh, you know, maybe. I don't no, know. Uh, Colt, Colt Keith moved in the Glasno deal. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, Colt Keith was a prospect I really liked that was in your farm. Yes. But the other guys you gave up, like Royce Lewis is probably not going to be better than either of the guys who got in his career, in my opinion. Like I, that's mm. just my evaluation. I don't think he'll be better than either like Pete Correa or Pete Schorber. I don't think he'll be more valuable. And part of that is he can't stay healthy. But the other part of it is I just don't think the skills are there on a consistent basis, sort of like you did with Luis Robert, and we all know how that turned out. So he's going to be a star now. <laughs> yeah. So this will be this will be you getting that in return. Yes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Cool. Um, don't know that there's much more to, to say on, on this one specifically. I mean, Jamil absolutely trades uh, quality for quantity in a very real way. And uh, you know what? There's there are some guys that I'm still pretty, pretty high on, pretty interested in um, guys that I've followed for a good amount of time in their their career specifically. So, you know, hurts to see them move. I'll be honest, but uh, I, I think they're. I think I'm in a better place this season, independent of what this might do as I mortgage the future, so to speak. Well, I wouldn't have done the deal if I was Jamil, frankly. Um, mm. It doesn't make a lot of sense because, like, 
it, our system is just kneecapped in such a way that like you should never really be taking quantity over quality unless you like are me and you have zero prospects. So Jamil has way too many high minus prospects. He's going to keep like half of them. So like the amount of guys he really gets in this deal are a fraction of what he receives. And because you spread out the quality with quantity, he's not getting like super high end prospects. Like we'll talk about other deals. I believe where he's involved, where he gets higher end prospects. And that is, should always be the goal because you can only keep eight of them. Right. So. Fair enough. Well, let's, uh, we got a bunch more that we could cover. Jeremiah, is there any, any of the other ones of the other nearly 20 uh, that happened uh, that you want to call to to the floor? Well, so I'm going to group a bunch of trades together. And like, maybe we can talk about them. So I'm going to group Jamil's like starting pitcher sell-off, the Zach Wheeler and Shane Bieber deals. Now, I don't know if we, have we talked about them on the podcast? Sorry, I get them all confused. I don't think. I believe we had, because they would have happened before. Yeah. Okay. So, so we'll group then the next group. I want to group the Squirtle Squad's trades kind of together because they acquired a bunch of relief pitchers. They acquired a bunch of starting pitchers who don't have any restrictions. Um. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head all the deals because I'm not on Slack right now to review them. So if you have any of the Squirrel Squad deals in front of you, just throw them out at me and, and we'll kind of just group them all together maybe. Yeah. Uh, so they grabbed Kenta Maeda for Matthew Allen uh, mm-hmm. at one point specifically. They grabbed Devin Williams for Brian right. Wu. Mm-hmm. Uh so solid relief. Play. I, I mean, Kenta Maeda is fine. I'm, I'm not as high on him as, as some others. I never really looked at that way. I think is the the way I would put it. Devin Williams, I I wanted, and just yeah, yeah. couldn't get. That's fine. Um, they grabbed AJ Minter for nobody, yeah. Yeah, um, nobody. Yeah. and Joey Wentz, um, yeah. just in, for their minor leagues. Sorry, I'm still scrolling here. There was a lot, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, well let's Trevor Richard, Alex Lang, Jamison Tyone yeah. is probably okay. the one you're looking for. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking of that one and I'm thinking of just like the holistic of it. So so they get Williams, Minter, who was closing and will probably set up Lang, Richards, uh, Tyone. Like that is yeah. remaking a whole bullpen on the fly. Right. And that's mm-hmm. getting a bunch of starters who are going to help you over a bunch of guys who won't. So the Squirtle squad to me is like markedly better in their pitching department than they were before the deadline. And yeah, those names might not all be flashy, but some of them are super high end. Like Devin Williams was the best reliever that moved at the deadline, period. And Minter might have been second. So I wouldn't undervalue their ability to mix and match those bullpen arms when it comes to the postseason. And I think those were really smart moves and they saw a weakness in their team and they immediately fixed it, which is fascinating and interesting. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of teams that had weaknesses said, screw it, I don't care. So props to them for going for it. I think those moves honestly will make an impact going forward. Okay. Um, I cannot disagree with anything that you've said. I mean, functionally speaking, anytime that you can go out and you can, again, make, make the moves that make your major league team better when you are competitive, mm-hmm. those are the moves you have to make. Um, and we've known for years and years that the Squirtle Squad are more than capable of not just crafting deals, but in also identifying where they see their holes, um, which, to be clear, are not always the holes that that we see. 
um, their their methodologies are different. They are alien to us in many ways. They see market efficiencies that market inefficiencies, sorry, that we don't necessarily see. We cannot comprehend with our our small minds. Um, yep. But and I'll give credit where credit is due. They see those inefficiencies, whether they're right or whether they're wrong, and they stick to that plan. Now, that's not to say that they can't change the plan, and we've seen that happen as well. But generally speaking, when they see something, they go for it. And I, I think this is just that again. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying, and I'm not going to pretend to understand their methodology because it's different. So, um there's two other trades I want to talk about and I want to get your thoughts on. So the first is the Justin Verlander for Bryce Elder deal. So that yeah. was uh, Turner and Verlander to RKR for Elder uh, Liberator. Mm. And I believe I'm missing one of the, was it Priester? I don't know. I'm missing one of the pitching prospects. Uh, Max Bruns. Max Bruns. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious on your thoughts. Cause, cause I kind of already said, right. Like I'm a Bryce Elder guy. I own Bryce Elder. So I'm comfortable with him and I think he's solid and, and probably undervalued by a lot of other people. Bryce Elder for me is the poster child of what you see is not always what you get. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am somebody who has for years now, um, I'm not going to say been a student of StatCast, but I am certainly aware of it. I, I look at it. I use it in my own sort of evaluations and assessments. And Bryce Elder's StatCast page in particular is a goddamned Halloween horror show. <laughs> there is so much stuff that is scary on that that I don't touch it. I wouldn't touch it. And you and I, you pushed Elder for weeks uh, in my direction when you know that I was hunting for, you know, mm-hmm. for, for pieces and whatnot. And good on you for it. Um, but holy hell, there is just nothing there that you you look at and you say, yes, this, this translates to future performance. That much is obvious, right? He doesn't throw that great. He, he has hard contact values that are scary bad. It's just everything in there is just begging begging to be wrong and if you're the he he's he's the goddamn old mate he is and if you're the person holding the old mate at the end of the game you lose unless uh, unless you can shoot the moon i guess and sure maybe maybe that's what we're looking at but like He's just not, he doesn't strike anybody else out. He walks too many. It's average exit velocity in the 32nd percent. It's, there's a lot of scary stuff, a lot of scary, scary stuff. And so, yeah, I don't want him. But when you do that same eye test on Verlander, you see something very, very, very different. Now, granted, you're also losing a full 16 years in age, but at the very least, Verlander is showing that he's still got some of it. And I think that injury set him back early in the season. Um, And I think being in New York set him back uh, probably for his life. Let's be honest. Nobody should ever go to New York, Um, (laughs) but he's turned it around and there is something of a resurgent there. And when you look at it, is he, is he the Cy Young award winning Verlander this year? No, but is there enough there to make you think, okay, 
this is upside that exists as opposed to upside that I think I'm already past. And that's really the way I see uh, the elder versus Verlander. Uh, Justin Turner, you know what? That's a right-handed power hitter hitting in Fenway Park, and that's just good for business. Um, I wasn't convinced that Turner would be a good hitter uh, coming up from uh, from from Los Angeles and, and losing that lineup around him. But uh, you know what? He's been fine. He's been more than serviceable. Uh, I liked this deal for, for RKR a lot. I thought this was the kind of deal that he needed to do to similar to, as we're saying around Tillo and myself to keep pace, right? Like this wasn't purely a shitter get off the pot, but he made moves and these moves are going to make him better. And they are two players that he can plug in right now that cost him functionally nothing. Cause Bryce Elder, he had only just acquired, you know, earlier in the week. So mm-hmm. this is great. Yeah. You can pair, uh, Verlander and James Paxton together and see how long they hold up. So that's exciting. <laughs> high risk, potential high reward though, right? No, you're right. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, because um, like if if Verlander has one of those Verlander outings, right, where he goes seven strong and he gets 10, 11 Ks on one run and he does that in a playoff week, you're feeling good about that. Like, and you know it's in there. You know it's possible. You've seen him do it for years. Yeah. I, I would be scared to try it out. Like if, well, let's look at it this way. If you've got Verlander going up against Atlanta in a playoff week and you've got Bryce Elder facing him <laughs> playing hmm. in New York, right? Which side of that are you on? Do you want Verlander against the Braves or do you want Elder against the Mets? Because that's kind of what this decision comes down to. And there's a, a significant non-zero chance those guys are going to face each other, or they're at least face those, the teams will face each other in our playoff period. And so like, what makes you happier? What makes you more comfortable? Call me crazy. I kind of want Elder against the Mets. Like, I, I, the Mets are terrible. Like, the Braves, it's more the Braves lineup than it is, like, Elder being good. Like, I think Elder <laughs> probably gets torched by the Mets, and Verlander probably also gets torched by the Braves. <laughs> but, like, the Braves lineup is terrifying. Like, if Verlander was facing, let's put it this way, if Verlander in the postseason was facing, like, not the postseason in the MLB, but postseason in our league was facing, like, almost anyone else. Like, not Texas, Tampa, or Atlanta. Let's say he's facing, like, the Jays. And Elder's facing a comparable team, we'll say the Diamondbacks. I'd rather Verlander. So maybe maybe that's more what it comes down to, because... Atlanta's terrifying. But yeah, Verlander has the higher ceiling. I don't think any of us are arguing that. It's just, will he reach it? Yeah. So Did uh, did, did Bryce Elder pitch tonight? He got rocked, yeah. <laughs> he got destroyed, dude. <laughs> yeah, he got rocked tonight. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rather, rather be the guy getting a return than the guy holding the bag on that one. And I think that's the that's that's what I see RKR doing there and, and props to him. Yeah, All right, you said yeah, you had yeah. another trade you wanted to talk about. Yeah, super quick, because uh, I think it's a super even trade. I don't know how you feel. It's the Byron Buxton uh, for Ryan Mountcastle and other pieces here. I'm just pulling it up, but you know the one I'm talking about. And if you yeah, so John Means and You're Byron right. Buxton uh, and some picks for Trevor Rogers, the starter, and mm-hmm. Ryan Mountcastle. Um. 
yeah so this is this is graham and jamil so i th i thought this was kind of interesting because when i looked at this at first i'm like oh graham is still in it he's still working you know byron buxton is definitely a piece in a keeper league that you want to have but isn't trevor rogers that as well as a starting pitcher and i mean sure he gets john means back who hell i picked up and held on to because who knows what he's going to be but that's just it we don't know what he's going to be when he comes back probably next month um Ryan Mountcastle, he's a, he's a first baseman. He's fine, uh, has good power, puts up reasonable numbers. But for me, this is just Trevor Rogers against Byron Buxton. And Buxton has been just okay. He's not the Buxton he was when he was playing, but he's also playing more often. So there's a trade-off there. Um, I thought it was a fairly equal and even trade. I'm just kind of surprised it happened given the state of the teams that are involved in it. Yeah. I thought it was even too. I, what is Trevor Rogers though? Like who the fuck knows? I, I own Trevor Rogers for the downside of his come down. And, and I don't know what he is. Cause he's hurt and he's not coming back this season. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Like if he can get back to peak Trevor Rogers, sure. But like, you know how many teams have held on to him hoping for that? At least a couple. Um, sure. Buxton's pushing 30 now, I think. He's 28 or 29. Yeah, that's he's, that could be right. Yeah, I think he's like 28 or 29. He he's DHing basically primarily, which is the other thing. So next yeah. year I'm not even sure he'll have center field eligibility. So if he's just like DH only, that kind of sucks because he's not very good for a DH. Um Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty even. I think I'd lean the Buxton side, but it's close. Yeah, so Buxton's 29. He will be DH only next year. Um, yeah. That's not to say he'll stick DH all year, obviously, but, you know, you got to soak those 10 games or whatever. Um, Trevor Rogers, though, just to be fair, he's a lefty, mm -hmm. 25 years old, who is 6'5", 217. There's Good a reason that everybody is willing to take that chance because everything in that makeup and profile is something you want to wait on. I mean, the counter is that the Marlins have more than enough pitching and that he'll just, if he doesn't do it this time, it's not going to happen. Right. So you go like Contra, Perez, Garrett. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else is in that rotation, but I'm definitely forgetting dudes. Um, they got some good pitching prospects too. So like if Rogers yeah. doesn't come back from injury and put it together, like he might just be a bullpen arm. So that's yeah. the that's the downside. Yeah, I could I could I could see that happening. Although knowing them, rather than just making him a bullpen arm, they'll trade him probably for a bat, like a Ryan Mountcastle. <laughs> yeah, just saying. <laughs> yep, not wrong. Good stuff. So yeah, we had uh, something of a flurry of trades there at the end, which I'm always happy to see. Um, just honestly, because it uh, it makes things interesting. But the only other trade that I wanted to sort of mention, which I thought was interesting based on sort of past values, uh, was a little one that happened uh, between uh, Kaminsky and Flex. You know, how the mighty have fallen. Formerly, they were the top two definitely in, in, in my division, but also arguably two of the top teams in, in the pool overall. Uh, seeing them make a trade in the past would have been like watching the, the Red Sox and, and the Yankees make a trade. But they got together on a little one here that involved Flex getting Pete Fairbanks and Huascar Brazovan uh, for Marco Luciano. Marco Luciano used to be untouchable 
in this league as an basically a top shortstop prospect, nothing but the sun, moon, and stars ahead of him. And now he's moving for two relief pitchers in a quiet deadline deal. And I was curious if you had that same impact of, again, how the mighty have fallen. It's interesting. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned this because this was the kind of the deal I was like, well, we, we have time for one more. Um, so Flex, full disclosure, Flex had asked me about Luciano earlier in the season. And I was like, ah, who the fuck's Marco Luciano? Like, Because I wasn't into the prospects. <laughs> I hadn't done the research. Right. I was like, ah, fuck him, like whatever. And I quickly Googled him and, and, and you know, scouts were saying, oh, he's, he's defense first and he's kind of sucking at double A or something. And I was like, what the fuck? He's terrible. No. Um, but Luciano has turned it around this season. I've gotten more into prospects. He's still ranked very highly on most lists. Like MLB.com, I think, has him like top 20. Like yeah. the dude is still very solid. Um, and he's turned it around with the bat. So I was like floored when I saw the deal. And I messaged Flex being like, hey, why didn't you like offer him to me or someone else? And he's like, well, you said he sucked. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't mean my opinion can't change. Like I basically sold off my whole team in the interim. So like hit me up. Uh, but yeah, Marco Luciano is amazing. Um, probably he's probably not Sun Moon Stars like Wander Franco anymore, but he's probably mm. like a serviceable shortstop who's going to be mostly glove. But man, the thing is, like, how many glove first prospects have we seen that come to the majors with like the juiced ball and are just like completely different offensively? Sure. I mean, I could see him being pretty good. I, I don't know where you're going to fall on this, but I'm shocked that he went for so little so that that's that's exactly it that this is way less than i would have expected a marco luciano because sure he might be glove first but that's also glove first with a 70 grade raw power in his in his profile right like that's a 50 future value on fan graphs uh glove first guy and i mean (laughs) cool cool we've had a lot of you know glove first types that can hit you know 35 home runs right Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this profiles as, right? Um, he ends up being kind of a Corey Seager yeah. type. Well, and you know what? Yeah. Corey Seager is, he's won some World Series. He's been <laughs> in a buttload of all-star games. And that's kind of what a Future Value 50 looks like. Now, I have nothing against Wasker Brazoban. And maybe Pete, maybe Pete Fairbanks is the closer of the Rays, although saying it out loud means he's back on the committee list. Um, this just felt really low, and it surprised me. It did. Yeah. No, 100, I'm, I feel the exact same way about it, and I messaged him about it. I didn't really question why he got so little. I just am surprised he didn't try to get more. So, yeah. 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 Weird. Anyway. So that uh, that sort of wraps up, I think, our uh, our trade review. Unless there was anything else you wanted to sneak in here at the end. No, no. I mean, I think okay. you know. I just want two seconds of Jamil's sell off was interesting. I don't think we've seen a sell off like that since Mike sold off a couple of years ago. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Yeah, like some of the deals, awesome. Some of the deals, yeah. not sure. I get. Um, not how I'd potentially do a rebuild, as you may have noticed but uh to each their own so. yeah no and and i'll uh i'll likewise give uh Jamil some credit because i think he did two things uh honestly better than uh better than the league uh one he announced to sell off early enough mm-hmm. that it sparked functionally the first trade deadline 
because uh, it kind of felt like there were there were two uh, in a very real way. And, and, and I appreciate that. Um, but also that he was willing to come on to our show and talk about it. Yeah. And how can you not give props for for someone willing to do that? No, mad respect. 100 percent. 100 percent. Absolutely. OK, well. Jeremiah, we got to get try and get back into the swing of things. This is a uh, a bit of a different episode all along, but we're going to circle back and bring it home to something that we always talk about in the last sort of segment of of these podcasts, and that being our picks uh, for the matchups. And just to refresh the viewers, uh, I'm currently sitting ten points back with six weeks to go. So, you know. It's it's go time for me. Actually, go time for me was probably 10 weeks ago, and I fucked that up, too. But that's all right. <laughs> we have, as we have always been doing, we have traded our picks back and forth. And we've got some that are the same, and uh, we got some that are different. We're both on Graham, the Raccoons, Squirtle Squad, Chow, Neeson, and Tillo uh, this week. And actually, in some cases, I've already talked about many of those specific matchups, so I'm not going to go into anything more around that. But the ones that we differ on are kind of interesting. So we're on different halves or different... Uh, we're, on, we're on different sides for uh, Lim and Ash, which, okay, like these are some low riding teams low in the in the standings uh it's number 15 against number 19 uh i'm on limb you're on ash i guess technically i went chalk uh with that team and that has bought me a four point lead as we sit here on tuesday night so yeah coin flip yeah yeah i I saw that too and was like "Eh, do i really feel confident either way (laughs) diversity man let's go there it is, yeah. And so the other one that we differed on uh, was a, a matchup that actually we, we talked about a little bit earlier as well. And this is the the battle of the seven and sixes. This is the in the playoffs or in Europa League, or matchup, I should say, uh, as we've got Chris versus RKR. I'm on RKR, you're on Chris, and RKR right now is up 12 on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I can't believe I backed Chris after that horrible shit that he said about me, but... Uh... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I have no explanation for this pick. So, okay, that's yeah. fair. Maybe yeah. this is one where I, I I scratch it back. The uh, the third matchup we differed on uh, features you, my friend. Okay. Uh, you had zero faith in yourself uh, going up against the Clappers uh, this week. I'm on you, and uh, you've got Garth, which is weird. Um, but as it stands right now, uh, your pick is technically the winning one at one point greater <laughs> overall so also a coin flip as we are in the uh the middle of the tuesday late games yeah the pitching my pitching's in shambles uh <laughs> every guy <laughs> that i acquired at the deadline is now injured or was injured so it's tough it's gonna it's gonna be hard to win some of these better matchups so yeah okay took, uh, took daddy Mac. yeah i uh I'm I'm relying on the the youth in your in your offense, which uh, we never really talked about, be it on this show or any of the others. But um, yeah, your your offense right now is very young and very scary when you consider De La Cruz, Franco, and Henderson as sort of your your stalwarts there with <laughs> uh, you know throw-ins like Luis Robert, Ozzy Albies, and Henry Davis. Yeah, 
you this is a team that's going to be scary for a good long time and oh that's right you also called up uh Ankenasi on strand as well so that's awesome i don't yeah, know how you're gonna yeah. play all of those guys you've run out of spots but all the power yeah. to you yeah that's the issue is i've uh hilariously picked wrong so two nights this has happened uh Ankenasi on <laughs> stranded and henderson I benched Henderson the first night. He homered and Anchorage on Strand did nothing. So I switched it today and Anchorage on Strand homered and Henderson did nothing. So it's a battle. Th- it's this a battle. is how you're going to lose that matchup. I think that's how this goes. <laughs> yeah, it's how I continue to stay in Europa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one way to go. Yeah. The uh, the last matchup uh, that we are different on this week features me. Uh, specifically, a measure of force going up against Aiden, the director. Mm. And I'm on myself. I decided to finally push my own name forward in a uh, in a coin flip matchup, which is how I had this one for what it's worth. Uh, you took my opponent, but uh, this is me putting faith behind the uh, the new acquisitions that I acquired, but also me not seeing that he was going to blow me out in starts this week based <laughs> on him having three pitchers tossing tonight. And as we sit here, he's got a one-point lead over me at about 10 after 11 on Tuesday night. Yeah, so I, I, usually I make the picks, I think, first, and then you just add your picks. So this week I got your picks because I forgot. And... Uh... Basically, when there was a coin flip, I just took the other team. So, so I actually thought this was a coin flip too. I was like, I have no lean. You took yourself. I'll take the other team. Okay. So that's kind of how it went. Yeah. Well, he got uh, he got great starts out of Joe Musgrove and Nathan Eovaldi. Uh, so mm. that's gonna hurt. But my uh, my counter move of starting Christian Walker, the underappreciated Christian Walker, might I say, uh, yes. with his uh, three for five with two home runs tonight. Uh, that's playing up. Don't look at what Cattell Marte has done. It'll just make you feel bad again. You can't even complain. Cattell Marte has been <laughs> awesome this year. He, he has, has been, been so much better. So much better than what you probably expected when you traded for him. So who cares? Like, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's exactly it. That's what I'm saying. Don't look at what he did. It'll just make you feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't. I won't do that. All right, sir. Well, here we are. Time to wrap this thing up awesome getting together with you again i know we sort of took last week off for various and sundry reasons but uh nice to be back in the saddle and if i have to share a saddle with anyone sir i'm happy it's you oh well thank you i appreciate that uh it's good to get back in the swing of things and uh hopefully the people will be excited to listen to us well i mean there's only one way to find that out and it's by looking at the cleverly the clever stats such that they exist in the uh, in the Spotify world. So, you know, keep getting those 15 to 16 listens a week and we'll be nice. prime time in no time. Exactly. Love it. All right, sir. Well, thank you once again. And thanks to everyone, all 15 of you that are listening every week. And for now, have a good night and good fantasy. <laughs>